Engel. Die Tickets. <lacht> Hello and welcome to Deep Cuts, Lost and Found. This is round number nine. I am here with my very best friends from high school, gathered together to explore the year 1984. We are all buddies who went to high school and graduated in 1987. 1984 is sort of in the middle part of our high school experience, beginning part of our high school experience. We're all getting very deep into music in this time period. We've been digging through the crates to try to find some of our favorite deep cuts, overlooked songs, overlooked artists, tracks that we think are really special and want to share with you. Welcome to Deep Cuts. So as I mentioned, 1984 is kind of our sophomore year in high school, more or less. Does that sound about right for most of us? Yep. Bingo. Yep. Sophomore. Yes, part of it. Yeah. We're beginning to become buds. We're probably all at this point kind of going to shows. What would you describe our relationship at this point? I think all of us know each other. I think we're all friends at this point. And as far as how we're sharing music, does anyone feel like they were sort of like the alpha of this particular music sharing experience? I, I would kind of put Fido into this a little bit, but I'm not sure if that's accurate. Is, is Fido sort of the, 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 is he the one that was kind of pushing and getting us all to talk about music the most? Geez, I don't know. I'm going to defer to Bill on this one. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not me. I don't think so. Yeah, I think I'm the newbie, although I was probably very much into the alarm right now, I think. Okay. Well, with good reason, sure. Yeah. But there were a lot of trips to Newbury Comics, I think, in 1984. Yeah. yeah. We all would ask our parents for a ride to get to the Green Line, and then we'd yeah. get into either Government Center or Harvard Square, and we'd hit the used record stores and Newbury Comics. Good times. I don't know that I was Alpha at this point. I mean, Rich had the UK connection. At what point were you Alpha, Bill? <laughs> oh! Ouch. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything more. I'm curious to hear about the um, the power dynamics in this group of friends, Tom, that you've opened up. I think my mom was driving us to our DJ gigs in the uh, Chrysler minivan. Yes. I think at this point, to go pick up the lights and the smoke machine, maybe, the rentals. Capron lighting. Always a good source. Mm -hmm. Should we talk about the those gigs? Like, where were those gigs, basically? The, the early Beat Goes On gigs. Well, Rob was very popular with the Bar Mitzvah circuit. Yeah. And it was great that we had a DJ who would, would dance with the ladies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, can we dance with Rob? Of course you can. <laughs> I wasn't around for most of this stuff. I, I think, I, you know, maybe at the very end of the, the career of that particular business. But, I mean, were you guys... Playing for the crowd, you were you playing. You <laughs> you drop the bomb on me's. You know you're um, true. Both. You had to play the Gap Band. You're Michael Jackson's, or were you trying? Did you try to sneak in something subversive every once in a while? Oh, you got to try to sneak in and uh, how soon is now here and there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the crowd would die. I think. Would that clear the dance floor at that point? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And then you got to go right into Moni Moni again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the Billy Idol version, I think, right? You'd certainly play Rock Lobster. I mean, that was suddenly a staple of every bar mitzvah I went to. Oh, of course. Rock Lobster, B-52s. Yeah, you could get away with that. You could try to squeeze in a depoche mode, as Jeff Taylor would say. We were trained by the uh, founder of Monster.com, which is crazy to think about. But he came to Rob's basement and taught us how to DJ. 
And uh, famously, he said to us, you can play your Depoche mode, but you really got to, you know, you got to put in your Billy Oceans, your Gap Bands. <laughs> <laughs> he was keeping it real. No, I was like, can I play the Reflex two times in a row? Uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Safety dance, I'm sure, was sort of a staple. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I remember I did, I did lights for a while. That was sort of like the... Yes, you did. Synchronized. I came in late, so I got a chance to only kind of contribute with lights, but I took... Uh, I think I took soft cells tainted love very seriously as far as my- You brought my, it to a new level. That's right. Nobody had the commitment to light synchronization than, than you, Tony. <laughs> I think the one time I came is when you guys had a gig at like the girls' private school. Ooh. And they're like, do you want to go? I was like, yes, yeah, I'll go to that one. Walnut Hill. Yeah. Wellesley College. We were the only males there. Good gig. Memorable gig. Memorable. A couple girlfriends out of that show. Let's switch to, to <laughs> 84. So who's tackling the year this week? That would be me. I'm uh, I'm uh, the Dan Rather of the show. All right. Tackling the 1984. Every week you're the Dan Rather. So here, let's um, go on the Wayback Machine to 1984. The, a very Orwellian year of 1984. Uh, um, as you may remember from uh, the famous Macintosh commercial during the Super Bowl that Ridley Scott directed. Uh, that was a big deal. Mm. Speaking of commercials, it was a big year for Clara Peller, the old lady who said, where's the beef? Oh, <laughs> yes. I'd forgotten the name. That was a big fad in uh, 84. Reagan, of course, was reelected. He uh, pretty much kicked Mondale's ass in 49 states. <laughs> uh, Mondale only took his home state of Minnesota, but he did introduce the first major party female candidate with his vice president, Geraldine Ferraro. Right. True. Geraldine Ferraro. Ferraro. There we go. Um, so the Soviets boycotted the L.A. Summer Olympics as the Cold War was raging. And in retaliation for the U.S. boycotting the 80 Moscow Summer Games, John Superbrat McEnroe won the U.S. Open in Wimbledon. The Raiders won the Super Bowl, and golf's U.S. Open was won by one Mr. Fuzzy Zeller. Nice. I always love that name, <laughs> Fuzzy Zeller. Great name. Hey, Fuzzy. Fuzzy Zeller. Tetris was introduced, as was crack cocaine. <laughs> How apropos. <laughs> Alex Trebek debuted on Jeopardy. Same thing. Marvin Gaye was shot and killed by his dad. <laughs> Michael Jackson's hair caught on fire. And at the movies, we had... Um, Footloose, yes. Splash, Ghostbusters, let's see, Repo Man, Body Double, Nightmare on Elm Street, Spinal Tap, Revenge of the Nerds, The Terminator, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and Best Picture winner, Amadeus. Plus two movies that relate to music, which is what this show is about, Stop Making Sense yeah. and Prince's Purple Rain. Nice. Well, and Repo Man, that's a great soundtrack. A Repo Man has a great soundtrack. Yes, well. agreed. So anyway, that is my 1984 in a nutshell. Love it. Very nice. Very nice. Well done. Well, who wants to start us out? Rich, do you uh, feel like you want to start us out or you feel ready? Sure. Yeah. This pick was an easy one. I knew this. I've known this pick. <laughs> since the start of the show. It was going to be my first pick since 1984. <laughs> but after this pick, it gets a little bit fuzzy. I'm not quite sure. Anyway, um, so the first pick is a Steve Lillywhite produced album. It is, I think, the third in his trilogy after U2 War, Big Country, The Crossing. Yes. This is Simple Minds' Sparkle in the Rain album, which for me was... Easily my favorite album of this year. Loved it. You know, looking back on it, maybe it was the the peak of Simple Minds. I don't know. Debatable. But, you know, they definitely changed their sound a little bit from being very intricate and trying a lot of different things and experimental to having toured quite a bit 
over the last couple of years getting into these kind of the stadium rock. And then Steve Lillow, I brought this sort of simplified sound to them, just told them to break it down, play with each other, listen to each other. And they added Mel Gaynor about this time as well, the drummer. Who's a monster. Big drums, guitar-heavy album, and just a great album all around. The hits uh, up on the catwalk, Waterfront, Speed Your Love, all great songs. But the song that I chose is actually a Lou Reed song. It's a cover of Lou Reed, that on Lou Reed's Street Hassle album. It is an 11-minute song. So they were playing this live over the last year or two and ended up putting it on Sparkle in the Rain. And I, I think it's a, it's a great version. It's a little condensed. It's a little more dramatic. And uh, about the two-minute mark, it really opens up if you stick with it. So uh, without further ado... Street Hassle by Simple Minds. It's Deep Cuts, Lost and Found, Round 9. The year is 1984.
reminded of like how huge this band sounded live. Yes. And do you remember seeing them live? Because I feel like front row, baby. Oh, courtesy of Krista Barrasso mm-hmm. at the Wang Center. Mm-hmm. Great, great show. Uh-huh. This album was on regular rotation when we used to practice DJing. So yeah. even though we couldn't play this at the gigs, you know, at a bar mitzvah or a high school dance, we would play this when we were practicing at Rich's house. And then before shows, when we were just testing, doing sound checks, I always put on side A because it's up on the catwalk, book of brilliant things, speed your love to me, waterfront, east at Easter. I mean, it's just I've often said it, probably my favorite side of record. Just so good. Great choice. I remember how exciting it felt to like hear Waterfront through big speakers because it's such a full, heavy, simple, direct sound. And it's just like, bum, bottom, bottom, bottom. Like it's, it's like our dream gig would be the one that that would start off well. I think back in those days, probably that would not go over well. But God bless this record because it's such an incredible record. I think it, it impacted all of us kind of yeah. almost in the same way. Like I think all of us were very much in love with it. And it was a band really figuring out what they were able to do kind of in the way that you two did with, you know, Unforgettable Fire also that same year where yep. a band suddenly realized that their their ambitions and what they were capable of delivering were actually able to be met. Yep. I think you two and Simple Minds were hanging out a bit yes. in these times. So they were rubbing off on each other and they loved the big stadium sound. And uh, yeah, it's the product of that relationship, I think. If you look online, you'll find some bootlegs where uh, Jim and Bono are singing together. They do some, uh, yeah. someone somewhere in summertime together and it's fantastic. Well, Chris, you're up next. Where do you want to take us? Um, okay, so 1984. I'm going to go with a song that clocks in at about a minute and a half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know who this is. Nice. This is Minutemen. Yeah. The album, <laughs> I think this is one of the great albums of all time. Uh, Double Nickels on the Dime, which is trucker slang for going 55 on Route 10. <laughs> and it's their third album. Uh, it's a double album, and I read somewhere that the reason they made it a double album is A, they had a lot of songs, but B, because Husker Du, who was their label mate on SST, had just put out Zen Arcade. Right. And they were like, oh, well, they put out a double album. We got a shit ton of songs. <laughs> Why don't we throw 45 songs onto this album? And that's what they did. I, don't, I think maybe two songs on the whole album out of the 45 crack, two minutes. But anyhow, this is, this is really... Um, one of my favorite records. It cost $1,000 to record. That's insane to me. And just sort of D. Boone's guitar and Mike Watt's bass, the way they play off together, it sort of speaks to, I think, the sort of chemistry you can only have with someone that you've known for a very long time. And anyway, this song is called Number One Hit Song. By the Minutemen. It's Deep Cuts, Lost and Found, Round Nine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And that's it. Short and sweet. That's it. It's amazing how quick that is. Gotta love it. Yeah, one of my great regrets is that the small upstate New York undergrad place I went to, the guy I knew was the entertainment director, and he brought fire hose to, um, yep. to the school, and it was great. And they had a barbecue before the show, and I didn't get to go over there. Oh, you didn't get to hear D. Boone stories from Mike Watt. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, Mike Watt was, like, on the couch drinking beers. They had, like, a collection of Kiss dolls, and he was just sitting on the couch <laughs> kind of caressing this Kiss doll. <laughs> Which one? Talking about D. Boone. It's probably Ace Fraley. Why do you say that? You know, just being like, me and Boone, man. Oh, man, I'm telling you. Oh, uh, that would have been nice. I almost, you know, but I was... Doing other things. <laughs> yeah, I think D Boone is just magical. I think I, I mean, just his presence. If you've like looked on YouTube at any sort of videos or anything, just just like a hulk of a dude with like such a gentle sensibility. Yeah, our listeners probably don't know what happened to him. Well, he died in '85. I'm not really even sure about the cause. Derek, do you know? Was it a car accident? Uh, he died in a car accident. Yeah, that's um, yeah, okay. and uh, it was a real shock to everybody. Sort of a terrible tragedy. I mean, he was yeah, just a big, kind of really bright, sweetheart ox of a man. Yeah, and super talented and yeah. and smart. Some of their songs are just so political and smart and amazing wordplay. And um, but I do think you will see an appearance from Firehose maybe in the next show or the show after that. Ooh, foreshadowing. Yeah. Not from you, from me. Yeah. We have to battle that one out. I had the good fortune to have an evening with uh, Graham Lewis and Mike Watt. And man, you can talk about two guys who basically are exactly who they are. Like they're very comfortable in their own skin. They're very direct. And it was an absolutely fascinating conversation because you've got, you know, Graham, who's very- uh, Both bassists, right? Yeah, both bassists. Yeah. Very bright, both of them, both very well-educated, but have different points of view on things. And to hear them- argue over Vietnamese pho was one of the great joys of uh, mm. that particular year. <laughs> Mike Watt's so great. He's got his own little language. Mm -hmm. And I think at one point it was um, when Iggy hit the road with Iggy and the Stooges when they did a little reunion thing and they brought Mike Watt along yep. to play bass. Like I And I, I went to see them at the Orpheum. There's a little side story with a flatulent Gloucester fisherman that's part of that that I don't really want to get into. <laughs> Interesting. You, you have my attention. Yeah. Gloucesterman fisherman will be a, uh, a, a side note on our Patreon page for those who are interested. <laughs> <laughs> but I could not, I mean, I was almost happier to see Mike Watt uh, up there playing with than I was to see Iggy. It was really an exciting, kind of amazing night. Except for that. He's a very special guy. Yeah. You can just hear this in his conversation. He's a guy who's really thoughtful and really sincere and really special. So Yeah. He jams Econo, man. Damn straight. Good, good pick. Billy Federico, you are up next. Where do you want to take us? All right. Well, I'm going to go with uh, an artist who was everywhere in 1984. In 1984, it was Bruce. <sighs> it was Prince, right? If memory serves and do the right thing, right? Uh, Mookie asked Pino, you know, who's your favorite basketball player? Magic, right? Who's your favorite actor? Eddie, right? Who's your favorite artist? It's Prince, right? He's like, no, it's Bruce. Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'm the Mookie in the crowd. It's Prince. Prince was amazing. Purple Rain came out in 1984. I remember going to the movie with our good buddy Noah and... Uh, I was completely confounded by him. I was like, this guy's fucking nuts. Yeah. Uh, seems like a real head case. Whereas Morris Day seemed like a you know dream, a lot of fun to be around. But uh, 
with Prince, you felt like Apollonia, you know, you'd try to get on the motorcycle and you'd keep revving up and going away from you as he goes to uh, Lake Minnetonka. That's a nice metaphor. Yeah. I like that, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, so When Doves Cry is obviously a song everyone knows, an incredible song with no bass line, by the way, which is just a weird, weird thing. If you've ever heard a remix, they've done remixes where they add a bass and it actually weakens the song. Mm. I'm going with the B-side to uh, When Doves Cry. This is called 17 Days a song I think he wrote for Apollonia, but it never came out with Apollonia. Oh, Apollonia. (laughs) Did I say that out loud? (laughs) Sweet Apollonia. (laughs) Apollonia 6, I believe, was the the group. Anyways, at first I wasn't sure what to make of Prince, but it didn't take long before uh, he he got a hold of me. And uh, I remember listening to this cassette over and over again and having to, uh, you know, run away whenever uh, Darling Nikki came on, um, feeling very <laughs> uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> Me too. But uh, yeah. again, this is 17 Days, a great song. There's also a great piano and solo version that's on a, a posthumous release by Prince. But this is the original 17 Days by Prince. <laughs> It's so good. Isn't it? It reminds you, by the way, this is a great, I've never heard the song before, 
but it reminds you of how valuable it is to go back to the records that you loved mm -hmm. and check out the expanded versions because when you have an album that is as great as Purple Rain, and I think it's unequivocally one of the most important records of our childhood, I think that's fair to say, the idea is that the songs that didn't make the album are just as fucking stunning as like what we already know and are, uh, it's a great, this is a great song. It's time for someone to get funky. This movie was like huge for me. Like it blew my mind. I remember I was at a swim meet <laughs> and I was hanging out with Deb Wilder, who was also a swimmer. And the two of us were at the swim meet in the tent and I was playing this record for her. <laughs> Go on. And for whatever, whatever reason, <laughs> yeah. I just thought like for sure she was going to find me to be the coolest guy ever for playing the Prince Purple Rain record. And How'd that work out? It didn't work out well, but <laughs> it, it went nowhere. But There were two tents. She was patient. <laughs> she stuck with me, which I appreciated. And uh, we, we parted ways. That was the end of that. So there you go. You're willing full trunks, I hope. Yes, of course. Of course. Yeah, that's, that's what you do when you swim on a swim team. You wear full trunks. The tent was pitched. Yes, the tent was pitched. <laughs> Derek, you would like to uh, continue. Would you like to take us? Yes, please take us away from the thought of Tom's boner. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything. Anything will do. I want to keep us in Minneapolis. Yes. Ooh, interesting. With uh, Minneapolis's own The Replacements. Woo! This uh, is from their album Let It Be, which is kind of a point at which they turn from sort of the more you know, rough and ready, hardcore roots to a more arranged, more considered approach. I mean, it's still sloppy. It's still... It's a replacements. Yeah, it's still a replacements. But this is kind of when things turned a little bit towards maybe the vision that Paul Westerberg was more hoping for. But this is from their record, Let It Be, which just has androgynous. It has I Will Dare with a Peter Buck solo on it. It has Unsatisfied. Uh, it even has a, a cover, a Kiss cover song, Black Diamond. It's pretty good. But this is my favorite song from this record, a song called The Answering Machine. And I just find it a fascinating song to listen to these days, just in terms of the lyrical content and the sentiment behind the song. There's sort of concepts that don't exist anymore. <laughs> like there's, you know, it's essentially about being disconnected from someone, the idea of writing letters, leaving an, a message on an answering machine. It's just a certain emotion about being on the road and out of touch that's just not possible anymore. And it kind of makes me sad to hear this song in a way, to know that those days are forever gone. But it's just Paul Westerberg and a guitar, but it, it's a beautiful song. It's uh, Answering Machine by the replacements from the album Let It Be. Deep Cuts, Lost and Found, Round 9, 1984 is the year. <laughs> Thank you. 
it's amazing like to what degree like the replacements have like have a stranglehold on certain like people who've heard them for the first time like when you meet like replacements fans like they are so obsessive like it is the mm -hmm. they are the band they're like the band that was most honest the band that was most direct that was I don't know, like when you meet replacements fans. Most drunk. The most drunk, yeah. Yeah, most drunk, totally. Yes. Yeah, the most beautiful losers. I mean, they constantly sabotaged themselves. That's part of why they're beloved, because they never quite hit the peaks. It really is. Yeah, they screwed up every opportunity they had, kind of on purpose. And I don't know, you kind of can't help but love them for that, yep. despite how stupid it seems. It's <laughs> um, yep. well put. I'm glad you chose this, Derek. My son, Matt, was trying to get me to play I Will Dare, and I said it was kind of popular <laughs> in, a, in a certain niche. Yeah. So I, I said, but Derek's going to take care of this. I have a feeling. Yeah. 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 I like that song. When I visited UMass, did they play that? Oh. Yes. They played at the uh, Student Union. Yeah. That's my one great regret. I never got to see the replacements. Nash came up for what, Fugazi? I saw Bob Mould. Oh, Bob Mould, okay. We, there were a great ton of great shows back in the college days. So fun. Yeah, it's true. Tom, what do you got? Woo. Yeah, so I'm going to play Thomas Dolby. Sweet. Yes, you are. Best fucking record of the year. Flat Earth. <laughs> Flat Earth, it is. I love this album so much. So the Flat Earth is a record where I kind of feel like Thomas Dolby as an artist kind of came to his fruition. Like he made an ambitious storytelling album. He was living in Los Angeles at the time when he made this record. And I'm going to play a song that to me, I feel a real connection to in living in Los Angeles and having grown up on the East Coast and having not really understanding what LA was and even having a very dismissive attitude about it. I think a lot of New Englanders view LA as like a flaky place or whatever. Uh -huh. <laughs> this record and this song in particular gave me, I think, my first concrete impression of what L.A. is and, and what is special about it and unique and also critical. It's not a song that is, I think, uh, neutral about L.A. I think it, it has a sort of a, a jaundiced view of it. But it's from a, an English perspective. I love the songwriting of this. I love the production of this. The album was made in a very kind of storytelling style. They have uh, a credit for Robin Hitchcock as being as Keith and this Kevin Liu, I don't even know who they are, as the analyst. So they kind of made an album. He made an album that really is like a storytelling album. The big hit you'll know is Hyperactive. It's a great song, no doubt. But it's unlike any other song on the album, really. Totally. It, and, and it's the last song on the album. So it's kind of like yeah. he put it on there saying, I'm going to make a record. I get that I need to hit single and that's going to be hyperactive. It'll be the last song on the album, which is a very confident place to put your big hit single. And this song to me just really speaks to it. You know, Thomas is from England. He's a multi-instrumentalist and a, a prolific record producer. Did anyone else play on the album? Or is it all him? It, no, he's playing a bit, but there's like, I actually have the uh, a copy of it right here. Like the lineup is interesting. I was looking at like the bass players, like Matthew Seligman, who I don't think is on other records. He's the bass player. Kevin Armstrong played guitar and backing vocals and trumpet. You've got percussion, computer drums. It feels, however, like very much a record made in the head of Thomas Dolby living somewhere in LA, trying to understand living in this weird city as an Englishman. And I think this song kind of captures it. So I hope you like it. I think it's a really special one. It is Screen Kiss from Thomas Dolby. Listen to the lyrics. I think they're really special. And it is Deep Cuts, Lost and Found, Round 9, 1984 is the year.
drinks in the valleys Where every road has a name Like Beachwood Avenue Or so it seems A Croydon girl Could really hope to find a home But with a thousand miles of real estate to choose from Begin to see the value of your freedom The moon is bright in the haze above old Hollywood And you look down from the hills And it's three o'clock in the morning But it's buried in the screenplay of his feature Screen kiss, one screen kiss Straight from a film, I forget who is in Screen kiss, one screen kiss Blue filter lens, I pull out Vaseline I love this song so much. I feel like this kind of gave me a sense of LA that when I arrived, I really got it. Like 
the sort of weird sense of timelessness of it, the way the warm breeze and the sunsets kind of lull you into some strange individual feeling. And also the way like you, the stories in your head kind of get lost in the stories of your experience and how you almost create your own narrative when you live here. Like every adventure becomes kind of part of a screenplay. And I don't know, there's this, a strange quality to this city that I was really kind of intoxicated by. And I feel like this song captures it. Yeah. I um, was listening to this album a couple days ago when I first started digging for this episode. And it's an album I haven't listened to since it came out, really. And um, I always thought it was sort of like the lesser in comparison to his first album. And and I just listened to it. And I think I've listened to it maybe 50 times in the past two days. I mean, I've just had it on repeat wow. and uh, like worked to it and listened to it and had it on its background noise. It's really just a masterpiece. I think this is just a yeah. great album. Yeah, great pick, Tom. I haven't heard that in or thought about it in probably 10 years or so. And it all came back to me. I used to love that song. Yeah, me too. And to go back to like Chris's point, like I Scare Myself is like one of those songs that you can't, you forget how great it is. Mm -hmm. It's like you kind of forget Dissidence is so great. Like there's, oh, yeah. Yeah. it's just one of those records where it's kind of stunning how every song is so perfectly realized. And what I love so much about what we're doing too is like, it's this capturing of artists who are capturing their moment. You know, like we talked about Simple Minds earlier now, the ambitions of Simple Minds and the production possibilities and Steve Lillywhite all came together to make a record and Sparkle in the Rain is so important to us. And to me, this is a little bit of an overlooked record, but to me, like the Flat Earth by Thomas Dolby is just capturing everything I love about him, his sense of narrative, his sense of experimentation, his technical acumen, and then this wonderful experience of like, what is it like to live in Los Angeles as an Englishman and, and how do you view the city? So anyway, I'm a huge fan and I'm so glad I got a chance to share it with you. Thanks. No, I'm glad you did. It's amazing that he has such a uh, an emotional connection with this record too, because you know you think of him as just a technical guy. She blinded me with science and hyperactive. They're, these they feel more clever. It's a detached, a certain detachment to it. Yeah, they're detached. They're quirky, but these have a real emotional resonance to them. And I was just going to say uh, that uh, Seligman, yeah. uh, the bassist, fretless bassist, just passed away, by the way, from COVID. Oh, wow. Ah, but uh, he was on a lot of great records. Video Killed the Radio Star. He played with the Soft Boys, Thompson Twins, a lot with Robin Hitchcock, Stereo MCs, Waterboy, Sinead O'Connor, Morrissey, Tori Amos, oh. Alex Chilton. He was everywhere. He was like an 80s studio monster. Yeah. So there was a really good band here. And, and you can hear Thomas's like smart thinking too. Like he put the bass up front. Like I think he recognized that the bass is really the special part. The guitar is functional in the song, but the bass is really the lead. It has a meandering quality. It captures the, the key parts of the song. It's, it reminds me of like Gary Newman and Pino Palladino and just the ability to recognize when you have something special, like a performer who's really, really unique and putting them up front in the mix, not letting your ego get in the way, letting them take the lead. It's kind of a beautiful thing. Well, Rich, I think you're up next. Where would you like to take us for your second pick? Take us up the coast to San Francisco. Oh, yeah. These guys, some San Francisco state fellas, put together a band that I, I think could have been, it's unfortunate. I think they maybe peaked on their first album, maybe their second album, but they could have been great. The, the four members sort of fell out, I think, between the first and second album and really didn't get the pieces back together. But this album, I'm talking about Wire Train. The album is in a chamber. It's their first first album, sort of a college band. They opened for Big Country. I think that might have been their claim to fame. 
at the time, but I just remember this album thinking, you know, this is great. What's going to come next? And it never really worked out, but, you know, it takes me back to this time period to 1984. So I've picked, I gotta go. And this is wire train. I love this band. Like, yeah, man. Two great records. And then yeah. people forget about them too much. I think it's really uh, yeah. unfortunate. Yep. They're only known for in Chamber of Hellos, which is great. Yeah. But they deserve a lot more than that. Yeah. They found a way to carve out their own unique sound, which I really kind of appreciate. There's so many bands I listen to now, especially in this podcast, when we go back in and you realize 
oh, they were trying to sound like this band or they were kind of like a, a watered down version of this. Like, I feel like in a strange way, like Wired Train was very much in their own. They're obviously a rock band, but they don't sound like the alarm. They don't sound like big country. They sound like kind of like their own specific thing. They're not the chameleons. There's something maybe specific about San Francisco. I don't know, but it's like they feel like their unique sound. Agreed. Well, on that note, let's uh, move on to Chris. Where would you like to take us? Is it my turn? It's your turn. It is. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, all right. Wasn't ready for the, the, the ball to get passed around to me now, <laughs> but I'm ready to go. Okay, so... Uh, sure you are. I'm going to go with General Public. All right. General Public. Nice. All the Rage, their debut album, you know, Out of the Ashes of the English Beat. This song, you know, I didn't know this until I was doing a little research, but did you guys know that Mick Jones played on this album? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was originally in the band, and he sort of quit halfway through the recording of the album. Hmm. But it's his guitar on Tenderness and a bunch of other songs. Hmm. I did not know that. Nice. I saw his credit. I didn't know he was part of the band. I assumed he just sort of guested, like it was like celebrity guest. No, I think he was supposed to be part of the band. I mean, who knows? Huh. But uh, anyway. So it was before he formed BAD. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Maybe that's why. I don't know. But anyway. Interesting. Yeah, good point. Love this album. One to grow on there. Little footnote. It's a great record. Great record. We saw these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I missed that show. Except for Nash. This always comes up when we talk about the English beat. The guy who's choosing the song didn't go to the show. Yeah, I know. Maybe that's why I'm choosing it, Bill. There's a little bit of compensation. Okay. But the song I chose is Anxious which I love, especially sort of the reggae horns in it. I really, really like a lot. And Derek is a resident horn expert. <laughs> I think you'll appreciate this song. It's General Public's Anxious. It's Deep Cuts.
is maybe a record that kind of suffered from retroactive dismissal because the single was so big, but the record was so huge. Yeah. yeah. And it was so big for us. I think also, like, we were all big fans of the English beat. So when the English beat broke up, it was like, we were kind of heartbroken. And in a way, we lucked out because two great bands came out of it, like Finding Cannibals and General Public. Yep. And they were quite different, like, in a sense. They were not following the same exact pattern. Very different, yeah. yeah. And to me, this is just such a nice reminder of, like, how great General Public were. And as a great band, this is a record worth going back to. Great pick. Absolutely. All the rage, as the, as the record was called. Great stuff. Very nice. All right, Billy Federko, you are up next. Where do you want to take us? Okay. All right. Um, you know, I struggled with 84, as I do with every year, because there are so many great choices. And then certain things happened and just made the choices obvious. Like, it was Prince's 63rd birthday, and so I went with Prince. And then In Excess is The Swing, which hasn't been available on streaming forever, and I, and I have no idea why, uh, became available. This week. Hmm. So it seemed like a godsend. So I have to choose a song from The Swing, and I honestly love all 10 songs, so it was, you know, really, I could choose any song on here. I'm going to go with Dancing on the Jetty. Yeah, good choice. You know, I could have gone Johnson's Aeroplane. I know Rich is a fan of Love is What I Say. All great songs. I don't know. I'm doing this one. And uh, I'm doing this, well, not for Michael Hutchins, but I think Michael Hutchins is great, and... uh, it's been sticking in my craw. I don't know if you guys ever saw the Noel Gallagher ah. uh, acceptance from Michael Hutchins when he uh, won a video award. Such a dick. And he said uh, to Michael Hutchins, you know, has-beens shouldn't be giving awards to gunnabies. Oof. Um, wow. And it still pisses me off. Yeah. Because <laughs> Michael Hutchins has more soul in his little finger than in uh, Noel Gallagher's, you know, mop-top hairdo. But... Um, I mean, and I like Oasis, but anyways, <laughs> Michael Hutchins, I think is fantastic. And I think this song in this whole album is just really, really funky. And I think this is In Excess's best record. They really hit their stride here and they became more popular after this, but I, I really think this was the turning point for them. Uh, the swing from 1984. And I'm going with the song Dancing on the Jetty.
steps. Two thousand years ago. Pray I tell them we go to fight. Another war in the holy land. Shout the word. Too sorry. Snap. Decision. And I'm almost glory. We're gonna watch them. a great reminder of like in excess they're like the band that you like dismiss ahead of time and then as you listen to the song you can't quite climb into it because they're so good man they're so good they're such a satisfying band yeah i i, I really dig them i think they were great i think my audience was great and it's such a shame he died the way he did but um it's funny that you mentioned the spotify thing about the streaming in this album i actually last night <laughs> i think around 11 o'clock i texted bill and i was like did you know the swing is on spotify are you playing something <laughs> um i th- you know i thought for sure if, if he didn't i was gonna oh i noticed i was shocked when i said it was kismet it was meant to show up for the for 1984 <laughs> rich mentioned it too we we're like oh yeah yeah, it popped up this week. Hey, like, did you see this? What? It's there. I was like, oh my God. I know. But what a dick I am. I didn't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell anybody either. Nash mentioned it to me. And I was like, oh, really? Oh, I had no idea. Because I'm a team player. That's what I do. <laughs> You're the guy who said we should be <laughs> taking our cues from Darwin. <laughs> I think that song you picked was actually number three in Australia, but I'm not challenging. Oh, oh it's not challenge. a challenge. Challenge. Not a challenge. That's fine. That's fine. Play Johnson's airplane next. It's hard to find a song. What happens below the equator is no consequence to us. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Did you guys know that Daryl Hall sang backup on Original Sin? On Original Sin, yes. I did not know that. I did not. Nile Rodgers, Daryl Hall, yeah, they really tried to make that a hit. It's a great song. It's a fantastic song. But really, you can listen to this album back to front. There's not a weak song in it. It's just a great, great record. I love it. Well, Derek, you get to uh, change up the the vibe if you want. Where would you like to take us? Well, I mean, it's funny. I I think right now I'm just... Keep it below the equator. Exactly. Yeah. Fido and I are kind of in this weird geographical kismet thing right now. We're like, Mm -hmm. he was in Minneapolis. I'm going to stay in Australia. Nice. I'm going to go with a song by the band, The Hoodoo Gurus. Nice. You know, most people are familiar with um, their song Bittersweet from the album after this, Mars Needs Guitars. But this is a song from um, their record, Stone Age Romeos. It's kind of a wacky story. It's like an answer song to some like Australian Christmas hit called Santa Never Made It to Darwin, but somehow they (laughs) turned it into this whole thing about Tojo, who was 
Japanese military figure who never made it to, you know, who had plans to invade Australia, but never made it there. Makes perfect sense. I don't know. It's, it's, <laughs> it's just, I really like this band. I think they're a great kind of rock pop band. And this song kind of perfectly distills what I like about them. This is a song Tojo by uh, the Hoodoo Gurus from their record Stone Age Romeos. It's Deep Cuts. how much we all associate the Hoodoo Gurus with Derek. To me, like, this is your band. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they really put their hooks in me, but I like the way they do what they do. Derek has a down-under vibe. Don't you get that sense? Like, oh, the church are coming on. That's a Derek song. Or Should have been you know. born in Sydney. <laughs> Hunters and Collectors. Yeah, that's Derek. 
Is it true that your bath, that your toilet flushes the opposite way? I'm more <laughs> obsessive about the sort of lesser known Australian bands like Hunters and Collectors and yeah. Pudigur. Skeggs. Like, I like NXS, but I'm not insane about NXS. Like, I like Kodigurus and Hunters Collectors more mm-hmm. NXS or Midnight Oil. I don't know. I like the scrappier. Go betweens? How do you feel about yeah. the bad seeds? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like if that's true. Hansen. How about Hansen? <laughs> what? <laughs> aren't they Australian? I don't even know. Is that true? <laughs> no, those guys are like white bread Midwest guys, aren't they? Are they? Oh, I don't know. I thought they were Australian. Let's get off Hansen. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But, anyways. Intern, can we get on that? Can someone effort that? But no, a lot of. Respect to the Aussies. We kind of own certain bands. Like there's certain associations that we could take a little bit of quiet pride with. And maybe this is a vehicle to some degree for that. Well, I think that's part of the the sort of, it's, I wouldn't say competitive because that has like a negative connotation to it. But I do think that amongst us in high school, we would always try to... Um, Claim a continent like it's risk? No, like <laughs> impress or surprise the other one. You know what I mean? Like introduce something new. Right. To the conversation. And I, I think along with that comes, you know, like memories of like, oh, you're the one who gave me this da-da record. Right. Or you're the one who like introduced me to, you know, Galaxy 500 or whatever. So I think that's part of it is, is that like we were all trying to bring something new to the table constantly. Yeah. Totally. Just certain things hit you and you don't know why, but you have a certain desire to share it with other folks. Yeah. And you feel like you know it in a way that other ones don't. Like, you know, you're kind of like, The Fall was a band that no one I knew liked, but I felt like Mm -hmm. something about them was special. And and maybe time was kinder than I thought. But another band, in fact, I think I'm about to switch. No, I'm not going to switch. You do this every week, Tom. I know, I'm not going to do it. You take my pick. No, no, no. Go ahead, vacillate on air. It makes for great radio. Do it. It really does, really does. (laughs) By the way, Hanson are from Tulsa, Oklahoma, Rich Air. Rich, what the fuck? I don't even know what you were thinking with that. <laughs> Sorry. I, you know who I was thinking of? You were of? thinking that guy from Silverchair looked like Silver a Hanson. Silverchair. I was thinking of Silverchair. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's really what you were thinking? I knew where you were coming from. <laughs> Derek knew it. <laughs> uh, the mint must be kicking in already. <laughs> that corrected. I'll close out the show with a band that I think is also overlooked, and I think they're kind of great. It's the DBs. Oh. Nice. They're from Winston, Salem, North Carolina. Did not see this coming. I know. I almost feel like now I'm trying to figure out how to not do the obvious. Yeah, you've surprised us. There are Southern boys who went to New York. Chris Stamey, for example, played with Alex Chilton in New York. He played with Television, who we had in a previous show in the 1977 show with Richard Lloyd from Television. They're very inspired by Big Star. Obviously, Alex Chilton being a member of Big Star. Kind of a mix of like pop and psychedelic music and American music. I like that they're an American band. They feel like an American band. I feel a connection to them to like R.E.M., but also to like the Flaming Lips and Pear Ubu and being kind of experimental and a little bit overlooked. So I'm going to play probably their most well-known song. It's the Spy in the House of Love. It's the DBs. It's Deep Cuts, Lost and Found, Round 9, 1984 is the year.
I don't know why, but this song just makes me feel happy whenever I hear it. Yeah. I just feel like it's like the perfect kind of, you know, mid-80s, like jingly jangly American guitar rock song. Jingly jangly. <laughs> Great combination of just like, you know, good, simple songwriting. Just lovely. Anyway, thank you guys for bearing me with me. Oh, that's a good one. pick. No, it's, it's a great pick. Absolutely. And so that brings us to our kind of close to our show. Yeah, we got to basically, uh, well, let's let's do further listening first, then we'll do our vote, right? Okay. So um, let's go around the round. So Billy Federico, what would you like to choose as your suggested further listening? I'm uh, I'm really torn here. Um, I was either going to go with Rattlesnakes by Lloyd Cole and the Commotions. <laughs> there you go again. I know, I know, I know, I do. I was either going to go with one of the following eight albums. <laughs> eight choices. <laughs> All right. I'll just jump right into it. Hatful of Hollow, uh, The Smiths. Um, I think it's their best record. And remarkably, it's um, cohesive, despite the fact that it's not even an album. I mean, it's a compilation. wasn't recorded as an album. It's a bunch of BBC radio studio recordings. It's got a couple singles on it. It has How Soon Is Now. But it wasn't a single at the time. I mean, it wasn't even a big deal. It's crazy. So I'm going to go with Hat Full of Hollow by the Smiths. Uh, it includes one of my favorite lines from uh, Still Ill. For there are brighter sides of life, and I should know because I've seen them. And this is the kicker, but not very often. I just love the fact <laughs> that Morrissey uh, can't help himself. He doesn't want to be accused of being a Pollyanna or an optimist. He's got his cynicism in check. But the line, not very often, is fucking perfect. So I love that. That's great. I will follow up with uh, the David Sylvian album, his debut solo album, Brilliant Trees. I think it's a stunning album. He just left the band Japan. They had just had their biggest album. They were kind of like an incredibly successful unit. The band included his brother, Mick Karn. By the way, all the members of Japan had used fake names, which is kind of an interesting component to it. So I, I found this out recently that he was in the band with his brother, but they had fake names, essentially. The Jansons. The Jansons, yep. So he basically had left the band, but he brought this incredible group together. John Hassel is on trumpet throughout the record. Ryuki Sakamoto plays keyboards on it. He makes a lot of sort of literary references to like Jean-Paul Sartre and Pablo Picasso and Jean Cocteau. And that's kind of like, it's a very cerebral record, but it's a very jazzy record and it's kind of a funky record. So it's kind of funk, jazz, and ambient music all swirled into one. It's a very, I think, interesting and exciting solo debut. So David Sylvian's Brilliant Trees would be my pick for an album that's worth further listening. Here, here. Derek, where do you want to go? I'm going to recommend the album by the band The Jazz Butcher or The Jazz Butcher Conspiracy, what have you. <laughs> yeah, they kept changing. Yeah, it's uh, their record that came out in um, 84, The uh, Scandal in Bohemia. This was the record where David Jay and Kevin Haskins of Bauhaus joined the Pat Fish and Max Eider, the originators of The Jazz Butcher. And I love this record. It really reminds me of a certain specific period in my life and certain people in my life that are, you know, some of whom are, are gone now. And it's a really happy, silly, wacky record. In particular, the song Southern Mark Smith. If we're talking about the fall, we have a song that kind of references uh, Marky e. Smith on it. And it's got Soul Happy Hour and um, Song Girlfriend. It's just a really 
perfect record from this time. And uh, yeah, so I'd recommend listening to A Scandal in Bohemia by The Jazz Butcher. Good call. Rich, where do you want to take us? What would you suggest as listening? I don't think we can let 1984 go by without mentioning Alphaville, Forever Young. Yes. I thought you were going to say Van Halen there for a second. <laughs> yeah. 1984 was huge. Yeah. There's a lot of, and uh, yeah, thanks for putting on the playlist. I think, Bill, did you put something from Alphaville, from Forever Young? It was Tom. I saw Tom did it. Oh, really? Okay. Somebody did. Oh, it was Tom. Thank you. I saw it was on there. Summer in Berlin. There's a lot of great songs. But I, just so I, so I know, I did watch Stop Making Sense two nights ago, and <sighs> it is. I haven't seen it in a long time, but it is friggin' awesome. So good. Can you believe I did that last year? I hadn't seen it from forever. It's phenomenal. It's really kind of mind-blowing. Phenomenal. Derek, we saw it in Harvard Square, didn't we? In the theater. At the Brattle? And we danced. Like in a movie, it was great. <laughs> I would recommend, by the way, for anybody who's interested in talking heads to do a double bill, which we did the other night, which is basically stop making sense and then watching David Burns' American Utopia. Mm, yeah, they're among the best live filmed shows that you're ever going to see, and it's a great way to see how David has kind of evolved his vision in a really unique way. Yeah. I got a chance to see American Utopia live before COVID. Nice. And one of the best live shows I've ever seen. It was so fantastic. And it's just so smart of how he approached it. He puts a lot of thought into his live shows. He goes to a lot of deliberation on the different variations of how he wants to do it. And when he picks it, man, that man knows how to curate. David Byrne. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. Yeah. Very nice. Chris, I think you're up. Um, yeah, I think I'll go with... Um Ocean Rain nice. by Echo and the Bunnymen. It's, uh, Glad we didn't leave it out. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, it's one of my favorites. Kicks off with Silver. It's it's really just, I mean, it's just a great album from beginning to end. And I love the run that they were on during this period. And I think it was probably the first of their records that I got introduced to. So it's got a special place in my heart. Seven Seas, Killing Moon. I mean, it's really uh, just a great record from beginning to end. And it's one of those records too, like I always viewed like the Echo and the Bunnymen as sort of like a, adores evolution but my god that record reminds you of how much more beyond they are than that they're just it's a great record it's a truly great record songwriting performing the whole bit production it's a beautiful album great pick and it's got great references to cucumbers and cabbage yes it does <laughs> thorn of crowns i love that song indeed it does well it is time for us now to do a vote we should uh, uh you got to recap who played what yeah i'm gonna do the recap a lot of good stuff. Yeah, the idea is that we are trying to find our favorite discovery, meaning not one of our own songs, a song that we are excited and surprised to hear and feel really good about. So Rich opened the show with Simple Minds and Street Hassle from the stunning album Sparkle in the Rain. Chris followed up with Minute Men and the incredibly short one minute, one <laughs> number one hit song from Double Nickels on the Dime, one of the finest titles of all of the albums we have today. Billy followed up with Prince, 17 Days, a sort of a B-side from the Purple Rain expanded edition. Derek followed up with The Replacements and the song Answering Machine, taking us back to the time when that was a thing. <laughs> Let It Be is the album by those guys. I followed in with Thomas Dolby and the album The Flat Earth and the song Screen Kiss, my sort of ode to Los Angeles, my home city. Rich came in with Wire Train, a San Francisco band, and a song called I Gotta Go from their album In a Chamber, their debut. Chris came in with another debut album, General Public, after splitting off from the English beat. Finding Cannibals and General Public went their own separate ways, and an amazing record, and one that I really am excited to go back to listen to. All the Rage is the album, Anxious is the song. 
Billy came in with In Excess and Dancing on the Jetty from The Swing. Derek came in with, of course, an Australian band, Hoodoo Gurus, the song called Hansen. Tojo. And <laughs> Contemporaries of Hanson. And it's from the uh, Stone Age Romeos album. And uh, I close it out with the DBs and a Spy in the House of Love from their album like this. All right. And there it is. Everybody ready to vote? I'm ready. Yeah. <sighs> this is tough. One, two, three. Let's vote. Wow. Ooh, ooh a, a uh, real, real. Almost a sweep. Wow. Just a real stunning victory. Holy shit. Congratulations, Thomas. Wow. Tom got everyone's vote but his own. This is the first sweep we've had. Wow. Wow. All right. Yeah. That's exciting. Well done. That's serious. Yeah. Something about that song all really all struck us tonight, didn't it? it did. That's a first. We've made history here. Hmm. Yeah. That triggered me. I switched my vote at the last second, too. I was like, wait a second. No, I'm going to go string screencast. Yeah. Wow. Wow, look at that, Thomas. I also wanted to see what Tom would do in the bonus round. Yeah, which you will now be kicking off. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Now you got to do something back to your usual frequency. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I'll be the leadoff hitter. I'm going to go with something Lithuanian tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I may make a reference to something Rich mentioned earlier, so we'll see how that goes. Oh. Okay. So, all uh, right. Well, before we go, yeah. we should mention uh, social media. Yes. Folks should check us out. How can you find us? On uh, social media, on Twitter. Uh, Deep Cuts Lost and Found. Check us out on Patreon as well, where you can see us in the bonus round, where we choose a third uh, overlooked, underrated, or forgotten favorite. And you can also see us in video, which I don't know if that's a selling point, but... Face for radio. (laughs) But it's there nonetheless. (laughs) Do with it what you will. Check it out. See how your tolerance is. So... On that note, I'm very excited to wrap up this incredibly exciting show. 1984 is the year. My God, what a challenging year this was. Round nine of Deep Cuts, Lost and Found. I'm here with Bill Federko, Derek Brain, Rich Air, Chris Nashawati, myself, Thomas Skolovich. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, I'm very excited and proud about the music that we have introduced to you. I hope it inspires lots of further listening. We'll catch you guys all next week when we tackle 1985. We're going deep 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 into the 80s so catch y'all soon on behalf of the deep cuts gang so happy to be with you cheers we'll catch you next week peace